Good morning, everyone. This week, we're going to be talking about lees. I think that they're actually the most visually stunning part of our winemaking process. But today, we're going to talk about what they are, why we love and also hate them, and the common times to get rid of them in the winemaking process. And uh, just for reference, Ashley's going to be asking a lot of the questions, and I'll be trying to fill her in on the things that I know about them. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. Let's first talk about the definition of lees. What are they and, and, and what do they do? Yeah, we in the winemaking world have funny names for things. Sometimes they're kind of leftovers from so much French and Italian and Spanish influence. Sometimes they're not. I'm not sure where lees comes from, but typically lees are going to be the, the solid things that are left over after fermentation or during aging. So in the first part of the winemaking process, we have what are called gross lees. And that just means there's, uh, they're not gross as in icky, they're gross as in bigger or more. Um, um. So once we finish with primary fermentation or or it starts to slow down. If you stop doing punch downs and pump overs and that kind of stuff, you're going to get more of that layer of stuff at the bottom. And typically, there's also, once you have some aging going on, whether that's in barrel or in tank, or you go straight to bottle, you're also going to have um, some finer lees. And those are going to be mostly leftover particles of of yeast and cell yeast cell walls but they can also be parts of of the grape as well cool that's what i was gonna ask but what exactly are they <laughs> like are they the yeast yeah oops or but it sounds like it's just it's all of all it. the solid stuff but yes in the tip so it just depends on when you're talking about them as well so in the sparkling wine making process we mm -hmm. actually use lees we add sugar and yeast and then, well, sometimes you don't add that stuff. Sometimes you bottle while things are fermenting. But basically you have sugar and yeast in the wine and then you bottle it. So mm -hmm. that sugar and yeast is now in the bottle and they're going to do, the yeast are going to do their thing and then there's going to be this solid stuff that's left over and that's the lees. In sparkling wine, typically those lees are mostly uh, yeast or yeast mm -hmm. holes, um, leftover parts of the yeast cells and things like that. But in the earlier winemaking process, they can be pieces of pulp from the grapes. They can be skins and seeds. They can be other solid materials that have just been gotten into the winemaking process from the grapes or the yeast themselves. So when looking at like <clears throat> thinking of larger barrel, or even if you're doing like a small home production, the leaves are kind of the stuff that kind of falls down at the bottom that you see as you're fermenting. Yeah. But in the sparkling wine, so that's like traditional, traditional steel mm -hmm. wine. Um, and then in the sparkling wine, that's the thing that's like slowly as you are riddling right. them right that yeah. then goes to the end and that's the bit that gets frozen and gets popped out and then it's right. a tasty treat right yes <laughs> our high-end uh what did uh what did what do you guys call them ukiah calls them um I sweet tarts know. they're like high-end sweet tarts <laughs> Why yeah. sweet tarts but yes we so it's 
a lot easier to look at in a bottle or in home winemaking when you have a carboy that's clear, clear mm-hmm. glass, and you can see all that stuff settling out. Yeah. I don't know if they call them lees in beer making, but same kind of concepts. Yeah. You have all of this solid stuff that eventually settles out. And when you have, well, there's different, different opinions about this, but over the years and generations of winemaking, people tend to think the high-end products are clear. Like you don't mm. want to have a cloudy wine. So there's times during the winemaking process that you tend to rack off of the lees or or filter the lees out so that your wine is going to be nice and clear for the consumer to to get. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually have noticed that with my Perry. Again, yeah. I don't know if it's called lees with it, but in my mind, it's, yeah. it's all the same things that you just talked about, the cell bits, the yeast. I already did, you know, one level of fermentation and then I like took them off that, the mm-hmm. lees, but then... I've been letting them sit. And as they're settling, again, I'm seeing more of that settling stuff, yeah. just maybe a little bit more of it. So definitely, like you said, easier if you're using like clear-ish bottles or something like that. Right. That you can see, or glass bottles, even if they are kind of darker, you can see them versus... Yes, the solid stuff in there. Yeah, there's also cool. a trend to leave those lees in the barrel or tank and then stir them. So, Mm -hmm. and that's been really common practice for the initial aging period for a lot of wines to build mouthfeel. So like a lot of white wines. Mouthfeel. Oh, mouthfeel. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So that the the wine just has a, a fuller feeling in your mouth, but it's a nice you know, bright and zippy Chardonnay, say. Um, It's really Mm -hmm. common with Chardonnay. And I know people are doing it more and more with other whites and even to some extent to some reds. But typically with reds, I haven't heard as, um, well, There's it's just not as common to stir them. Mm -hmm. But once it's done fermenting, it's very common to stir them while the wines are fermenting. But once it's done, typically people kind of stop. You can buy special racks that actually are rollers on rollers. So you have a special barrel well, the barrel is the same, but you have a special bung that kind of locks into place. And then you can mm-hmm. take the entire barrel and like rotate oh. it so that you can stir the lees up. Just so kind that's of cool. how they're stirring it up, not with like a spoon. Well, <laughs> sometimes uh, with a spoon. <laughs> yeah, sometimes with a little, it's um, it's like a little flange on the end of a, a rod that you can put in there and you kind of wrote, you kind of click it around and it, it just uh, spins enough and gets oh, okay. enough. Uh, velocity behind it that it kind of spins the the or not spins but um, gets the lees into into the solution again and there's also you can even buy attachments for like a drill (laughs) that are stainless steel that you can sanitize and then put in there and just I like that yeah (laughs) Um, okay we went off a little bit but I was thinking with earlier just when should we get rid of lees And when should, like, this was kind of one that you were starting to go into maybe like how to keep it, but Mm -hmm. like, when should we be like, no, we want to get rid of these and how are the best ways to get rid of them? When we are done with primary fermentation, typically that's a great time to get the first bit of lees out, uh, especially of white wine. So Mm -hmm. reds and whites function a little bit differently because your fermentation is going to look a little different, but 
With whites, you probably are in tank or in barrel. And once you finish with that primary fermentation, if you're not going to have them uh, be stirred and age, you can let them sit for different people have different ways of doing it. But in my experience, I like letting them sit for at least a couple weeks because then that lees layer kind of gets more compact. So if you need to move the barrels around, usually you're not moving tanks, but if you need to move barrels around in order to kind of get to them and work with them, you're not going to stir up those leaves by moving them because they'll be kind of nice and settled. And uh, same with red wines. Once they finish with primary fermentation, typically um, they're going to be in barrel, same thing. If they're in tank, then again, it's a little different. But if you're letting something age or um, finish pr primary fermentation with all of the skins and seeds and everything in a bin, then you're mm -hmm. going to want to let that after you press off of that, you're going to want to let things settle out for another couple of days before you do your your initial racking. Because there's a lot of stuff, once you press, you'll even see in a lot of wineries, if you see them while they're pressing, there's tons of solid stuff in the press pan. Mm -hmm. um, those are lees. <laughs> so the way that I suggest racking is... If you're doing it from a tank, hopefully you have a rack valve. So that's going to be a valve that's not on the very bottom of the tank. It's going to be up a couple inches or a couple feet, depending on how large the tank is. Mm -hmm. And you hook up to that valve with your, um, whether you're doing gravity flow or um, with, a, with a pump. And uh, instead of hooking straight into your next tank or into your barrel, you're actually going to want to let the wine run through that pump or gravity flow. And you're going to want to look at it as it's coming out. And you'll see there's going to be lees in that rack valve. Mm -hmm. And if it's a super small tank, or you don't have a rack valve, do the same thing from the bottom valve, hook up to your bottom valve, kind of uh, pull that first little bit of wine, watch it as it's coming out of the hose. And once you see that you're getting clear wine, rather than the really cloudy stuff, mm -hmm. then you can stop the pump or stop the gravity flow and hook up to your tank or barrel that you're going into. Just for clarification, this is so you have like the big bins or whatever that you like. So you crush your grapes, you put it in and they're fermenting in mm -hmm. the big, big bins. And then you take them and you put them into your barrels, your like oak Right. barrels. And so the leaves are part of the oak barrels. And when you're talking about this, this is the oak barrels, or if you're choosing to go into a stainless steel tank, that's the right. part of the process you're talking about. Not that first, like I'm doing pump over, right. or, you know, that first in the big bins. Completely. Yeah. We're after, part. after pressing, after, after fermentation, typically, because when your wine is fermenting, it's going to be cloudy. So you can mm -hmm. rack while your wine is cloudy, but as soon as it finishes fermentation, cools down, or you maybe stabilize it a little bit with an addition of SO2 or something, then it's going to become more clear. And all that stuff that was cloudy in the wine is mm -hmm. going to settle out. Yeah. Again, you can rack multiple times. Actually, there's certain wineries that that will brag about like, oh, we rack our wines 10 times before we bottle them or whatever. Mm. Um, and it, you also get into semantics there. Like, well, what do you, what is racking to you? Is it, you know, what, what do you consider racking? Because sometimes people consider just moving vessels because stuff is left behind. That's a rack, which mm -hmm. is true. But if it's still going through primary fermentation, it's kind of like, well, is that really racking? I don't know. But there's other times that you can rack as well. So I would always do a primary rack 
And mm-hmm. then after after we finish fermentation, let it everything sit for a couple of weeks. If you're doing red wine and going through a malolactic, it's a good time to kind of leave those leaves in there and stir them up. There's usually some nutrients left in there that um, the malolactic can use, mm-hmm. the malolactic bacteria can use. And then once you're done with malolactic, kind of let them be cold for a week or two, um, maybe do your first SO2 addition, and then um, you have time to rack them after they've settled out nice and and gotten that nice lees layer. When, okay. when you're racking out of barrel, typically you're going to use a special, uh, we call them barrel wands or um, racking wands that fit down into a barrel and it has a pin on the end that you mm-hmm. can adjust from the top. So you can spin it around. It's like a telescoping end and you can make it go further down or come up so that the whole rod of the the wand or the barrel uh, where you're sucking the wine out of can move mm-hmm. up or down in the barrel. So you can move it further down and then um, it can be you know closer to the lees layer or you can move it up if you're too far into the lees layer. The way that you would decide where you want that uh, depends on the size of your winery. Sometimes people are like, okay, we just always have it on six inches or however big, yeah. if, especially if it's a big winery and they're going to be taking all of those lees and the leftover wine and putting it through a, um, like a filtering process. Mm-hmm. But most small wineries have a sight glass on their um, hose above the barrel wand. And they actually mm-hmm. can watch, they can move it down slowly as it's starting to pull the wine out. And as soon as they see um, the lees through the sight glass, then they come up, you know, a turn, half a turn, however much it takes um, so that the whole barrel wand is sitting above the lees layer. And that if you're ever in a winery and they're doing racking, ask if you can see the sight glass and see the the lees because it's kind Mm -hmm. of a cool thing to see. It actually looks like a little puff of smoke as you're looking through the sight glass. Um, it, um, It doesn't like go completely black or look Mm -hmm. cloudy or anything like that. It just looks like these little puffs of smoke coming through if you're looking at it with a glass or with a light source. Oh, nice. Nice. Okay. So before I get into asking, I have a bunch more questions about (laughs) racking. Um, uh, Before that, just kind of finishing up the lees. I mean, we're still going to talk about lees, but um, with the lees, they are this like solid sludgy type. I know maybe yes. we don't want to say that word, but no, it's okay. It is, it is. <laughs> um, substance. Is there anything that you can do with them when oh, you like really take them out? Um, there is. I think about like baking and how I make mm-hmm. horchata, and then I discovered with my horchata. So horchata, for all of you that don't know, is this really amazing Mexican drink that you make. If you make it from scratch, you make it with like rice milk and you make it with um, uh, like cinnamon and you like soak it all. And anyways, it creates this really delicious, you know, drink. (laughs) So, but when I make that similar, I just end up having all this pulp and I discovered with it that I could take it and dry it out and turn it into a flour and make really good cookie and like gluten-free. Not that I'm gluten-free, but for my friends that are, I could make like a gluten-free flour for them. So is there anything creative like that or is it just, you know, 
We compost it. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard of people composting. One, the like really big wineries will take all of this and they'll put it through a special kind of, um, well, even small wineries can do this. They'll put it through a type of um, filtering process and they'll literally get like the most wine possible out of it. And they kind of mm. are left with these dried out cakes of leaves. Oh, okay. Um, so if you're getting that... Um, there are some things that you can do with it. Um, you can rehydrate it and use it in cooking. Um, I've heard actually, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of people like packing game animals in mud and then baking them. Um, it's kind of an old world. Like it's, hmm. you know, like a hunting, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, you don't have tinfoil. It's kind of, you put, pack them in mud, put them in mm-hmm. the fire and then, um, you can eat them later. So you can do something like that. It's really popular with fish, actually baking fish with leaves. But I've seen oh. lees go into like a, not so much white wine lees because they're kind of a yellowy, uh, green, gray color <laughs> typically. Mm-hmm. But red wine lees uh, are usually, or even um, some of the rose lees are typically pretty vibrant in color and are very, but also very natural. Obviously, they're coming from like a natural process. So, I've seen them be used in beauty products like oh. um, lip tints and cheek tints and things like that. So I haven't seen them in a dried form, but I'm sure you could use like a dried out form as an eyeshadow or something um, and kind of color it with a different. Um, I'm assuming that the wineries that are, I'm assuming that they sell them to beauty product companies oh, that mm-hmm. do something to them in that process. Yes. It's not just taking direct leads and putting <laughs> eyeshadow right, on. Right. No, the the gal that I um, saw do it here in the Boise area, I'm going to blank on what her um, her product line was called. Um, if, if I can find it online, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but she took them and she, I think, so she makes beauty products and instead of using the colorings instead of buying and importing the colorings that she she used to she just took the lees and and found a way to kind of stabilize their color because they mm-hmm. they're like wine they'll oxidize they'll kind of get more brown over time but she found a way to stabilize it and then um and I, I maybe that's just by putting it in kind of a a product that has more oil base I don't know um but yeah so she found a way to stabilize it and put it in that lip tint and cheek tint and it was beautiful <laughs> I will admit I did not expect that like at all of like <laughs> where where that question or that answer was going to go with yeah but that is really creative uh, I did ask for a creative thing so yes. I love that I'm sure <laughs> there are other things that people I've heard of people taking lees and putting them into smoothies but um you have to be really careful it's a so there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in there so yeah, I would say use it very minimally. There's a lot of really good stuff in there for you, but too much of a good thing can make you sick. So you don't want to be drinking have, your smoothie and spend the rest of the day on the pot. <laughs> I have heard that too, that like be careful with it, that there are yeah. some really good nutritional benefits in it. But like you said, that there's also a lot of, I mean, it's just all the excess waste of it. So right. like, um, yeah, there's some other things that might upset your tummy. Yes. So. Um, okay, 
Cool. Uh, let's get into racking. I know you already like really kind of dove into that area, but I just... don't think I really talked about like the definition though. Yeah. So maybe I, I was should gonna throw say... that in there. I just started talking about it. <laughs> yeah. So if you could just start off, I know that people are going to be like, oh my gosh, we just talked about that, but really break down what exactly racking is yes. and then how that combines together back with Lee's. Yes. So. so racking in a simple kind of definition form is basically siphoning off the clear wine and leaving the solid stuff mm-hmm. in situ. And then, ba- and then, so say you've got your barrel, um, you rack all that clear wine off and then you've got maybe a little bit of clear wine left in there, but it's mostly the Lee's mm-hmm. and, and you clean that barrel and you can use it again or clean that yeah. tank and you can use it again. But, um, you want to leave the solid stuff and then just be left with the nice clear wine. Like we said, it's it, you can have cloudy wine and it's going to be, it, well, I shouldn't yeah. make an all-encompassing statement. You can have cloudy wines that are delicious and not um, at all impacted by the fact that they're cloudy. Sometimes, there's actually a style of winemaking coming back that, you know, is like, yeah, it's cloudy wine is fine. Mm-hmm. And we want, we, we think you should shake up this bottle before you actually pour it. But... Um, but most, like over the generations, people have have found that the clear wine is a is a better indication of a quality product, so mm. or quality winemaking maybe. So there's just a difference in of, of opinion there. Yeah, that thanks for that definition. That helps when thinking about what you were saying yeah. with uh, <laughs> with the other stuff. You just got so excited earlier, yes. and I didn't want to like pause you in, in your excitement. But um, I was like, I think people might be a little confused unless yeah. unless they're in the industry of like what exactly that is. But right. um, for those of us that are new newer to this process, um, that's good to know and to think about what you were saying earlier with the little pump thing and putting it down and where you want to be in the barrel um, Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. And it's interesting, depending on the variety, I've worked with varieties where hardly any leaves, mm -hmm. and it depends on, you know, how you're processing the wine as well, but you could process different, couple different varieties the same exact way. And you'll have barrels that are have so much lees in them and and the other variety that you're working with right next to it that was processed the same way has like hardly any. So yeah. I don't yeah. know exactly how that works, but <laughs> it just okay. has to do with the turbidity of the wine. But um but yeah, it can be a crazy difference. Yeah. So I know you kind of started talking about it a little bit more, but could you talk about like kind of the benefits of the racking process and doing it? You were mentioning earlier, like some people do it a ton of times, yeah. but the benefits of doing that um, for, yeah. Yes. We, so when we're making our sparkling wine, we rack a couple times. Uh, we actually let our, as we bring our wine in, let's say we're, ta- we're working with our Chardonnay. We bring our wine in, we press it. We let mm-hmm. it sit for a couple days in a cold, cold tank, mm-hmm. and then we rack it. And that's because when you're picking grapes and stuff, uh, we don't want like, it's not to make the gra- grape juice really clear. It's because there's tons of dust and pollen and other things that make it into that part of the the process, the, the juice. So mm-hmm. it's just a way for us to kind of get rid of some of those first initial things. Um, the caveat, so working with juice is a little different than working with wine, but the more you move wine, 
the mm-hmm. more prone to oxidation it's going to be. Because every time you move wine, unless you have really fancy machinery, you're going to um, expose it to oxygen. So you got you definitely want to kind of consider that if you're like, oh, yeah, I think that racking is the new cool thing and I want to rack all my wines 10 times before I sell them. You just need to be extremely careful. Um, Too much oxygen is a bad thing. Once, yes, once you're done with fermentation, it's a bad okay. thing. Yeah. Okay. So we sense. rack our wine. Um, then once it's all warmed up, because we've gotten it really cold to be able to get all that um, dirt and pollen out of it. Once we've warmed it up enough, we pitch it, let it ferment. Typically, we uh, let, you know, let things go until they're finished fermenting. Sometimes because of tank space and stuff, we have to move things around while they're fermenting. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we've gotten pretty good at just once they're in their tank, they stay there. And then once it's done with fermentation, we again get it kind of cold for a couple of days or longer depending on scheduling and we rack again. Mm-hmm. Then we rack one more time right before bottling just so because after we rack that second time, we cool it way down so that we can do cold stabilization. In sparkling wine, if you have too many tartrates that come out of solution in your bottles, it'll cause gushing. So you don't want to have a bunch of uh, tartrates um, when you're trying to riddle and um, well, riddling it won't affect too much, but when you're trying to disgorge, because it'll just cause a lot mm-hmm. of wine loss. So we rack that final time before we bottle. And then technically, I think you could consider disgorging kind of a form of racking. It's a racking out of bottle. And you, mm-hmm. you kind of manipulate the bottle like you were talking about. We riddle, we have all this yeast and mm-hmm. yeast byproducts in the bottle. So we turn it upside down. So instead of siphoning off of the top, we actually uh, open it and get the stuff off the top because we've turned the bottles upside down. So everything's in the cap. Yeah. Yeah. So how is that? Because that you what you were describing is really what you do with sparkling wine, correct? Yes. So how does that differ with still wine? The um, racking process. Right. It's pretty similar, especially I would say white wines. You're not going to have that, um, the very last step, which is disgorging, getting it out of the bottle. Because hopefully you've racked it well enough. And if you've mm-hmm. needed to, you've filtered it. Um, but in the, okay, so this is a good place for me to insert. Like in the old days, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, when they, you know, people wanted wine that was clear. Mm-hmm they didn't have a filtering process. Like cheesecloth isn't going to filter out yeast particles. It's not mm-hmm. a small enough membrane uh, or the, the, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to have all of the scientific terms, but the pores in the membrane are too large. They're going to let a lot of that yeast come through and then you're going to have cloudy wine in your bottles. Mm-hmm. So instead of relying on filtering, they relied on racking. So being able to siphon that clear wine off the top. Um, and I think in the old days, they even had, um, you know, like a winery would still have a cloudy wine, maybe. They would use <clears throat> the leftover stuff that they didn't want to put in and they would just use that as house wine. Um, yeah. It might be a little cloudy, but it's still good to drink. So, um, so yeah, and they can still like siphon it, you know, using the like, you know, kind of the method of. (laughs) I just think of you. I grew up 
with irrigation dishes and that's how we yes. would siphon the water. So yes, you can exactly. Still do that. <laughs> you can still do that. Um, so with red wine, the only difference I would say, well, I mean, again, there's some people that say like, oh, we, we rack our wines 15 times before we bottle them. Um, typically you're going to have three or four racks, just like with a white wine. And the mm-hmm. extra rackings uh, are going to be when you blend, if you're blending your wine, even if it's just mm-hmm. like you're taking all of your barrels, if you're barrel aging things, and you're putting them into a tank to get ready to bottle them, that's another opportunity to rack. You're going to okay. make sure that if there's any lees that made it into those barrels, that, that are, even if it's just the tiniest little bit on the bottom, you don't want to suck those out with your, um, with your pump. Um, you want to make sure sense. that they stay there and then those barrels get washed. Cool. So that's fun because it's kind of looking at the different like from the press to like that kind of first thing to getting and how you're slowly doing it. But I think about um, when I get my final bottle of wine and I'm looking at it and opening it um, and it's say it is (laughs) clear wine and not the filtery or like the cloudy wine. Yeah. And sometimes it has those little tasty bits on it. (laughs) I've always thought of those as like sugar residuals, but is that any level of like not being racked Mm -hmm. or like some leaves that were left behind? Yeah, um, we, it just depends. (laughs) Sometimes (laughs) it can be that a wine wasn't racked super well and Mm -hmm. some stuff made it into the bottle like we were talking about earlier, sometimes nowadays people, winemakers are like, this is a style that I want people to try. And so I'm going to make sure that we bottle things while they're cloudy. Mm-hmm. And then there's also certain wine, because it's kind of this living thing that changes, it, you mm-hmm. can bottle a super stable, clear wine. And if somebody ages it for a couple months, a couple years, sometimes things come out of solution. The mm-hmm. most common thing that you see come out of solution, especially in white wines, but occasionally in reds, is that white wine has been stuck in the fridge and maybe, mm-hmm. and that's not bad to put wine in the fridge. Don't, mm-hmm. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that. But um, maybe you put it in there and you forgot that you bought that bottle and it's been three weeks that it's been in there and you're like, oh, well, it's nice and chilled. Woohoo. Um, but then you get it out and you're like, oh my gosh, this wine has stuff in it. Most likely uh-huh. those are going to be tartrates and that's just okay. a potassium salt that's come out of solution. Oh yeah. Okay. They look a little bit like, I mean, if you really look at them, they don't look like glass shards at all, but, but sometimes <laughs> people are like, there's glass in my wine. Someone's <sighs> trying to kill me. Um, that's <laughs> not the case. You can, um, as far as I understand, you can taste those and even consume them and they're not going to damage you. It's just a potassium tartrate, a crystal of potassium. But the other thing, um, so those that can happen in red wine too. It's less common to cold stabilize red wine because most people aren't going to stick their red wine in the fridge. Um, you yeah. might stick it in your wine fridge, but typically that's going to be set to a certain temperature where mm-hmm. that's not going to be a problem. And most white wines go through a cold stabilization process. So hopefully, even if you stick something in there and you leave it in there, it's not going to have it's not going to be half the bottle full of tartrates. It's just going to be yeah. a dusting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but sometimes the other little tasty bits that can be in there can be yeast that got through the process. If somebody's not mm-hmm. sterile filtering, that's always a possibility. Um, mm-hmm. It's not as common in dry wines uh, that are, you know, completely fermented. But if there's a little bit of residual sugar, maybe that yeast can 
get in there and and have uh, be able to grow and and thrive and flocculate for a little bit. Um, yes. And yeah, I think there's. I'm sure there's other things that I'm forgetting that it could be, but there's stuff. Well, pigmentation also. Pigmentation can come out of the wine. Oh um, yeah, you'll see that the ring edge mm-hmm. like. And I thinking. don't know as much about that. I'm sure there's tons of science behind it and and research, but I don't know as much about that. I just know that pigmentation is one of those less, it, it's very stable for a, a fraction of time. And then mm. it kind of gets to a point where it's less stable. So it starts to come out of solution. That's true. I have seen it in older bottles, I feel yeah. like more so. Um, I was just thinking about earlier how you said some people actually are are saying now to go ahead and shake up your wine, which is not yeah. a practice that I always think about. But like, is if you do see those potassium salts or whatever, should you shake your wine? Uh, no. no, I would say <laughs> if somebody tells you to shake up their wine before drinking it, it's going to be clear on the bottle and it's going to be like yeast lees. It's not going to be okay. tartrates. Okay. Um, and in older wines or maybe wines that weren't as stable, they were a little more alive when they were bottled, um, you can you can pour them in a way typically that leaves a lot of the solid stuff in the in the bottle. That's one of the great reasons to decant wine. If you have an older bottle of wine that's lost a lot of pigmentation and that's in the bottle, you're yeah. going to want to open it. Um, well, you're going to want to store the bottle on its side. And then when you open it, you're actually going to want to pour it off like so the side that was facing up that doesn't have a bunch of stuff stuck to it, that's the uh-huh. side that you're going to want to pour out of. To um, grab those things. So that it doesn't, there's not as much chance of that solid stuff to to make it into the decanter or into your glass. Um, you can also, you know, store the wine upright for a couple of days so that a lot of it will settle to the bottom of the mm-hmm. bottle. Um, but a lot of people that... <laughs> even us people that save wine and age it for a while, sometimes we're not the best planners and we just go back to our cellar and we're like, oh, this looks like a great bottle to have tonight. <laughs> we're not going to say, oh, in two or three days, I'm going to drink that. So I'm going to set it up right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really hope people didn't cringe with my... Sh- I was cringing a little, as I said, shake bottles of wine. Um, so. <laughs> and okay. more, yeah, more probably swirl, not like not like NASCAR <laughs> champagne style, not like that, like just to kind of get things into solution. And that's totally... A, if people, winemakers think... Sometimes it, it does change the way that a wine tastes and it can be really yeah. enjoyable. Um, okay. With that, let's wrap this up. Is there any other questions or things that I didn't bring up or ask about that you would like to make sure to point out to the listeners or I to think me? You, you did a great job covering it. And that last little question was great about shaking things up or not. <laughs> well, then uh, with that, I'll wrap it up. So thank you everyone for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and our podcast in general, please let us know by subscribing, reviewing us on the platform that you listen to, um, telling your friends, your family, anyone else. Um, We'd also love any suggestions about future episode topics. So please send those over to wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. With that, we'll chat with you next week. Bye. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle.
Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.